So this morning I want to talk about God's timing, as you'll have noticed from the presentation. Now I wonder how many of you have ever had or have broken a promise yourself. So I wonder how many of you have had a broken promise or have broken a promise yourself. So perhaps the New Year's resolution you've made with the best of intentions to lose weight, to give up chocolate, to go jogging every day. Perhaps it's something that your parents or your spouse have promised to you and it's not come to being. Or perhaps it's even something like a political promise. When I typed broken promises into Google and clicked on the pictures bit, (laughs) the pictures that came up, no surprise I'm sure to many of you, were largely Barack Obama and Nick Clegg. They were the... (laughs) They were the pictures that came up a lot. I'm sure all politicians have occasionally made promises that they are unable to keep for one reason or another. This morning, I want to, oh sorry, this afternoon, <laughs> I want to have a look at David's life and have a look at two different areas of his life. First of all, I want to look at the fact that God made a promise to David when he was very young. And for many years, it looked like that promise might not come into being. However, eventually it did. So I want to look at the fact that sometimes God's promises take years to come into being. And secondly, I want to have a look at another aspect of David's life, which is when he wanted to, he had a good idea, he had a good intention of what he wanted to do, but God said to him very clearly, no, it's not the right time, you're not the right person to do that. So that's what we're going to have a look at this morning, this afternoon. <laughs> Basically, we're looking at the fact that God has planned out all our days for us and that God has a perfect timing for everything. So, first of all, I want to have a look at 1 Samuel 16. So, if you can turn to that right now. So, basically, what's happening right now, Saul is king over Israel, but Saul has turned his back on God and God has basically turned around to to Saul and said, your family line is no longer going to keep the kingship. I'm going to anoint someone else. I'm going to bring up someone else to lead Israel. So that's the background. That's where we're kind of joining the story right now. So we're going to look at 1 Samuel 16, and we're going to start reading from verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? since I have rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So we go through the passage and Samuel does as asks and goes to to Jesse's family and he meets all the different sons and he sees these amazing sons and thinks this must be the one. And God reminds him that he looks in the heart rather than the outward appearance. And we pick the story up in verse 10. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. 
So as we read there, David was a young man at this time, and Samuel the prophet has come and anointed him to be king. But yet for the next years, as you look through the story of David's life, he didn't become king for many years to come. Saul remained the king of Israel. And indeed, David had to flee for his life. David had to spend many years living in caves, living almost as an outlaw. So he was living almost as far away from a king as he could possibly be. He'd had this amazing promise over his life, this really significant moment where he was actually anointed to be the king. And yet, here he was, on the run, in danger for his life. David didn't actually become a king until he was 30 years old. So it took many years for that promise to come into being. Now I think, if it was me, then once or twice during that time I would have started to question, did Samuel really get it right? Has God really anointed me to be king? Here I am on the run. Here I am in danger of my life. Nothing seems to be working out. This can never possibly happen. That's how I would look at it. But David remained faithful. David remained trusting in God throughout those years. I think today we live even more than in David's time in a, in a world where we want everything to happen instantaneously. So we obviously have emails, we have aeroplanes to get us from A to B as quickly as we need to. I remember when I was growing up before the days of emails, you had to rely on letters. And occasionally there would be a time on holiday where you would meet someone that you would quite like and you'd quite like to keep in touch with this girl. And you'd have to write a letter to kind of keep contact going. And you have this nervous wait as you, you send off the letter and you wait a few days and you think, oh, she might have it now. Is she going to respond? And then you wait a few days more and you think, well, she should have written by now, but maybe the post's been held up a bit. And then gradually, after two weeks, you start thinking, no, there's really nothing coming back here. <laughs> Thanks. There's a happy ending to this story, don't worry, it's fine. <laughs> but then gradually, as, as emails were invented, then it kind of speeded up, didn't it? So you, now it's not a letter, it's an email you're writing off, and you're kind of waiting for a couple of days, and you're thinking, did I get the email address right? Or did something else go slightly wrong? Or, no, actually, maybe I'm not getting an answer here after all, either. And then the mobile phone's invented, and suddenly it's not even emails and it's not a couple of days we're now waiting, it's, it's text messages and we're waiting 30 minutes and there's no response and I'm realizing it's still the same story but it's taking faster for the bad news to be delivered. <laughs> we live in an instant world now and we want these instant answers and sometimes we think why doesn't God do things instantaneously? Why do we have to wait for him to answer his promises and to, to bring his promises into fruition? Waiting, to me, is one of the most frustrating things. If you ask Hannah, when, you, when we're stuck in a traffic jam, being in the car with me is probably the most frustrating thing for her because it just drives me up the wall, being stuck in traffic. I hate waiting. I've not got much patience. But sometimes we do have to wait. Why is that? Why do we sometimes have to wait? Why do God's promises not come into being straight away? Well, first of all, we can have a look at David's life. David, as we mentioned, had to wait many years before he actually became king. But that wasn't dead time. That wasn't wasted time. David was in an extensive period of boot camp 
at that point. Now, I don't mean boot camp like the X Factor. He didn't have to stand up and sing and play his harp, and if it wasn't good enough, he kind of got sent home. It was more like a, a kind of army boot camp where he's going through this extensive training period. David obviously started off as the, the boy who went out to fight Goliath by himself. But God wanted him to be someone who could lead a nation. So he started off leading a few men, a handful of men. And then it gradually, as you read through his story, it, it, it got more and more, the people that were following him, until he had about 600 men following him. And then eventually he was ready not just to lead 600 men, but to lead a nation. He was going through this training period God was starting him small and growing him bigger and bigger and bigger in what he could do. All through that period, he learned to trust God, to trust God with his life. And we see that as we read through the stories in Samuel. But we also see that David learned to thank God as well. And as we read through some of the Psalms, we see that David thanked God every time that God saved him. He became completely dependent upon God. So that by the time he was made king, He wasn't a proud man. He was a humble man who knew that it was God that had placed him there. It was only God that could do what he had done. David went through a period of waiting, but it wasn't bedtime. It was a period of training. It was a period where God was preparing him to be king. Other stories in the Bible show a similar thing as well. So when we look at Joseph, that's another very famous one. Joseph was given these dreams when he was very young, that he was going to be again someone that was in an exalted position where even his brothers, even his family would bow down before him. That was the dreams he had. And again, for years and years and years, it didn't work out that way at all for Joseph. Joseph became a slave. Joseph then, after being a slave, was locked up in prison for many years before eventually God led him into the place that he had for him. Again, Joseph was around 30 years old by the time that happened, whereas he'd been very young when he had the dreams. But again, throughout that time, God was building character into Joseph. He turned from this young boy who was kind of full of himself, kind of cocky, he turned from that into a man of humility and a man of wisdom, a man who was able to act upon the God-given dreams wisely and again, have great bearing upon a nation. I think another reason why sometimes we have to wait is just because of God's providential timing. So when we look at the life of Jesus, again, Jesus, from the day he was born, was set apart to be the Messiah, the Son of God, the person who would save Israel. And yet, it wasn't until Jesus was once again in his 30s that God started to move and use him. He said at the the Feast of Cana, the wedding that he went to, that it wasn't his time yet. He was waiting for God's right timing. And with Jesus, it wasn't that he had to build character, because you think Jesus was was perfect anyway. It wasn't that he needed to learn a bit more humility. It just was God's timing. Sometimes we won't have the answers as we wait. Sometimes we won't understand fully what is going on. But what we can rely on is the fact that God's timing is perfect. I had a little example of this as I was kind of in between, well, as I was waiting for the job that I'm now in, basically. So a couple of years ago, I used to work for a company where I had to travel to India 
every month, and I spent maybe seven or eight days out there, and then came back, and that was fine. But it basically, it got to the stage where either we had to move out there as a family and, and kind of, well, it was just Hannah and I at the time, and live out there and work out there, or we were going to have to kind of look for alternative employment. Fraser was on the way at the time, and I couldn't envisage traveling out there for that amount of time once Fraser was born. So, basically, I, I tried to, in the natural, you try and kind of put things into place and look for new jobs and things like that. So one of the things I did was to write an email to, still writing emails, to Chief Engineer at Jaguar Land Rover that I'd known because I used to work for them. And I basically said to him, have you got any jobs right now? Because I'm kind of looking around. So the next day, a, a senior manager called up, not not the same one, but a different one, and said, we've got this job which we'd like you to apply for. So I thought, great, this is going to happen really quickly. It's all going to be sorted out and no problems. So it didn't quite work out that way in the end. It took a couple of months before the job was properly advertised. And then when I did apply for the job, my application was rejected within two days, really. <laughs> So it's, at that point, you start thinking, well, what's going on here, God? I need a new job. I thought this was the right job. And then suddenly the doors closed. But God had his hand upon it all. I actually met the chief engineer that I'd originally contacted. I met him out in India. He was staying in the same hotel that I stayed in. And we had a chat over breakfast. And he basically said, leave it with me. I'll sort it out. So that was quite good. But it's still... So then HR got back in touch and I got another email within a couple of weeks saying, your application has been successful, we'd like you to come for interview. So I kind of changed around and then, well, it's quite a long story, I guess, but eventually, it took about seven months and all, so here was me thinking this was going to be a quick thing where God suddenly puts things into place and it took about seven months. But when I look back on it, God's timing throughout it all was perfect. Even little details, like the day before that I went for interview, I had my annual appraisal with the company I was at, and they gave us a big wage rise. So I went into the interview, basically, saying, well, they've just given me this big wage rise, and you're going to have to exceed that if I'm going to come and work for you. <laughs> and things like that. And then, eventually, when I did start with a new company, it was about two months after Fraser had been born, so I actually had the paternity leave in the kind of early days of sleepless nights and everything else at the previous company before having to move and take on more responsibility. So looking back, God's timing was absolutely perfect. But at the time, it's so hard waiting and kind of being in limbo and not knowing exactly how much longer you're going to be doing that job and thinking, I can't do this job forever because it means so much traveling and we're having a, a son and everything else. But God's timing was perfect. And for many here today, and I'm sure you've got unfulfilled prophecies, prophecies, unfulfilled promises that God has made over your lives. And I just want to reassure you that God hasn't forgotten, that his timing is perfect, but also that there are things in place, that there are things that you can be doing right now in order to be making yourself ready for that time. I often think of life groups, of small groups, as being a really good boot camp. So if God's given you um, promises or, or words into your life that you're going to be leading worship or that you're going to be preaching or whatever other things, then you can practice and 
in small groups. You can practice in life group right now. That's like a safe place. Kind of like where David started off leading these small groups of men before leading a whole nation. The same principle, I think, applies with small groups as well. As we do that, we begin to hear God. We begin to become sensitive to Him in a safe place where we inevitably make mistakes, but it's it doesn't cause too much damage. We can learn easily from them. And I think this is also applicable to churches as well. As a church, we've had many promises spoken over us as well. And at times, we can start thinking, that's got to happen soon, that's going to happen tomorrow. But what we have to rely on is God's perfect timing. God will bring it into being when it's his season, when it's his timing for that to happen. And we have to rely and trust on that. Okay, we're going to fast forward now, and we're going to look at the second story. And this is now Second Samuel, so we're turning into the next book, slightly later in David's life. And I'll just take a drink of water while you're looking that up. So Second Samuel 7. David has now become king, as he was promised and as he was anointed to be. And he's built himself a palace. (coughs) However, the Ark of the Covenant, which is like the sign of God's presence, is sitting in a tent. It's just come back to Jerusalem, and they've had a big celebration for that. And that's where we pick up the story. So again, we're going to start reading 2 Samuel chapter 7, and we're going to start at verse 1. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a palace of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. That night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dealt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites that I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut you, sorry, I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people shall not oppress them any more as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give the rest, give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So you see God 
turning around to David, who had such good intentions. He was wanting to build this palace. This he really built the palace. He wanted to build this temple, this house for God. And God turned around to him and said, "No, you're not actually the person to do it. It's not to happen now. Your son Solomon is going to do it." And again, it seems such a strange thing. Why would God not want to do this straight away? David was a worshipper. David was someone who loved to worship God. We see that in the Psalms, and we see that even in the chapter just before this. As the Ark of the Covenant was brought back, David was dancing with all his might. He was rejoicing because God's presence was coming back to Jerusalem. So why would God not want him to build a temple? We do find the answer to this later on in 1 Chronicles 28, 2-3. Basically, David was a warrior. David was a guy who had shed much blood. And God wanted to wait. God wanted to wait for a time of peace, for a time when David's son was there to build the temple where he would be worshipped. When we read through this story, we see that God is a generational God. Often we want things, as I said earlier on, to happen right away. Often we're planning and thinking what we're going to do with our lives and what's going to happen in the next minute or the next day or the next couple of years. But God is a generational God. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He holds the whole of history in his hands. And we see that in this story, that he had these plans and designs, not just for David's life, but for his son's life as well. Solomon did go on to build this temple to glorify God. And it was an incredible temple. Solomon, as you know, had so many riches. Solomon lived in a time of peace with his neighbors, and he called upon those neighbors to help him build this temple. When you read through some of the numbers from the the, uh, the passage that describes it, they're kind of hard to take in, really. 270 tons of gold they used, 600 tons of silver. They had 150,000 men working on this temple. Huge scale. If my maths is right, I can try to kind of look at what that gold would be worth, just the gold alone. And when I typed that in and kind of looked at it in Excel, it was about a billion pounds just for the gold. That's before you start on any of the other things. I couldn't even begin to work out how much it would cost for the labor in today's prices for 150,000 men working in this temple. Solomon built this amazing temple to glorify God. And I think, again, there's a, a lesson that we can learn from this story. That we can have these good intentions, we can have these good plans, but we need to weigh them up with God, we need to pray and bring them before God, and we need to listen to what his answer is. Proverbs 16, verse 9 says, A man's mind plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And I think that's so true. We spend so much time planning what we're going to do and thinking what we're going to do, but we actually have to trust God because he's the one that directs our steps. He's the one that knows where our life is actually going to go. He's the one that knows the best things for us at the right time. And we have to trust in him. Now, it won't always be a bolt of lightning that we get. In this passage that we looked at, Nathan the prophet was able to speak very clearly into David's life. And I think that sometimes will be the case. Sometimes we will have very clear words from God through prophets speaking into our lives and telling us yes or no to something that we're planning to do. 
But other times, it won't be as clear as that. We'll just have to come before God, lay it out before him, and wait for a response. And sometimes that just comes in the form of his peace. So sometimes, as we're weighing up a big decision, he gives us a peace about it, and we know that it is the right thing. Other times, when we're weighing up a big decision and praying it through with God, no peace comes, and we know that it's not of God. And again, I think this is something that's not just for us as individuals as we kind of think about our lives and what we're going to do with it. But again, I think it's something for the church as well. So as a church, we can have 101 different good ideas, 101 different good causes that we could go and fight and seek to kind of do. But we need to be a church that listens to the voice of God, that listens to what God calls us to do, because we could quite easily use it. We're a fairly small church yet. We could quite easily use up all our time, all our resources, doing things that aren't actually going to bring any fruit because they're not the things that God has called us to right now. Instead, we need to be a, a church that listens to God and does the things that God is calling us to do, that he's going to anoint, that he's going to come on the back of and cause to be great works. So as we look at these examples, it's not a a license to kind of sit back and chill out and do nothing. It's, it's kind of tempting almost to look at this and think, well, God's going to do it at some point, maybe, maybe not, so I'll, uh, I'll, I'll kind of do nothing. As I've kind of said, what we should be doing is weighing things up before God, praying, him, praying to him and asking him what he wants us to do. But also, there's this whole principle of kind of boot camp, of preparing ourselves for the time when God is going to use us so that we're ready. So in summary, when we're looking at God's timing, we're really thinking about the fact that God has a plan and a purpose for each one of our lives and that he's going to bring that into being at the right time. I mentioned that David wrote a lot of Psalms. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is Psalm 139. And it says, I'll just read a few verses of it. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God has planned out all of our days. And as we think of Rebecca this morning and the the dedication that we've had for Rebecca, it's amazing to know that God actually saw her, that God created her first of all, but then God saw her in her mother's womb, that he knew her intimately before she was even born. And more than that, she'd planned out all Rebecca's days. And what we're kind of saying as we dedicate Rebecca this morning is that we want her to walk into the things that God has for her, to walk into those things that he has planned out for her, because they are the best things for her, possibly. What we're kind of talking about this morning is the fact that God is a God of providence. Wayne Grudem, in his book, um, really kind of sums us up far better than I ever could, so I'll just read you a quick quote. What he says is, Providence does not teach that events in creation happen by chance, nor are they determined by impersonal fate, 
but by God, who is the personal yet infinitely powerful creator and Lord. Such an amazing thing that as we come before God, this God who's created us, this God who is all-powerful, that he has a plan for us and that he's putting that plan into being at the right time. He's a faithful God, a God who keeps his promises. And a personal God, a God who we can trust our lives to. I just want to close in prayer. Yeah, Lord, I just thank you for these passages that we've looked at this afternoon. Lord, I thank you for the life of David, for the promises you spoke over to him when he was a young boy, and for the way that you brought those into being and you fulfilled those promises. Lord, I thank you that you know each one of us, just as you knew David. And I thank you that you have plans and a purpose for each one of our lives as well. Lord, I pray that you bring those into being at the right time. Lord, I pray that you would give us patience as we do wait. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the tools, that you would equip us while we are waiting also. Lord, have your way with our lives. That's our prayer this morning. Have your way with our lives. Amen.